0: Lord, thank you for your love and grace. Thank you for the way you've shown mercy today and how you're at work in so many lives. Uh, I'm grateful. Open up Psalm 146 to us, please. Pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so this is how the text reads, Psalm 146, just 10 verses. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, my soul. I will praise the Lord while I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being, while I'm alive. Uh, Do not trust in noblemen, in mortal man in whom there is no salvation. His spirit, man's spirit departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and everything that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord frees the prisoners. The Lord opens the eyes of those who are blind. The Lord raises up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over strangers and supports the fatherless and the widow but he thwarts the way of the wicked. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. All right. So let's walk through this, and I'm excited about hearing from you on life application. So, halal yah in Hebrew. Halal, which means praise, yah, which is an abbreviation of Yehovah. Uh, So halal yah, right out of the gate. Praise the Lord. Halal yah. Uh, praise the Lord, my soul, my nephesh. He, he wants it to be, uh, it's declared for everybody, but he's going to make it personal. My soul praises God. I will praise the Lord while I live, while I have my being. I love that language. It's it's repetitive. While I'm alive, while I have my being, I will sing praises to my God. Uh, uh, just a comment there. Um the, there's a, a critically important word that that I think we should really mature in as adults, and the word is ontology. Ontology. The the root of that word is ontos. It's actually in the Greek New Testament, and the the, the word simply means to know the true nature of a thing, to know what a thing is, to have complete. Awareness that that is a dog and not a cat, that's a cat not a dog. Don't confuse or blend the two. And if you if you are really good at doing ontology, you know what it is. And in Arkansas, it is what it is. Then you have an ability to understand life and move forward. For example, when he says, uh, "I'll praise the Lord while I live, I'll praise my God while I have my being." Ontologically, he's saying, I know who I am. I know that I'm alive. And as a living, living human being, one of the primary things I'm wired by God to do is worship. Okay. Um, tell me when when you think, I'm going to give you a little illustration. Tell me when you think somebody is beginning to show signs of insanity. It's 1.30 in the morning. neighbor's dog is barking incessantly. You throw the covers off the bed. You're frustrated. The dog woke you up. You go downstairs. You go out on the back deck and you say, Sparky, shut up. Is that insanity? It's not insanity. Does the dog speak English? The human is not insane at this point. At least the human is venting. The human goes to bed, frustrated. Next night, 1.30 in the morning, Sparky starts barking again. Probably a squirrel or a cat or something. This very smart human gets out of bed, goes downstairs, and goes. Make, mis- made a mistake last night. Dogs don't speak English; they speak dog. And so the person starts barking loud being translated Sparky shut up I need to sleep Sparky does not listen is the man moving toward insanity okay it's getting worser as they say okay next night Sparky starts the barking again this time in his whitey tighties he's in the backyard crawling on the fence Barking with the dog through the fence and they're both going back and forth because he's got to get on the dog's level. So nobody's going to communicate with the dog. Is he showing signs of insanity at this point? Yes. Okay. All right, let's draw from this idea of ontology. It's a curious thing that we would be mad at a dog for acting like a dog. Aren't they dogs? What'd you expect? (laughs) That's ontology. It's a dog. What do you expect? Don't yell at the dog for not meowing. Don't yell at the cat. Exactly. Don't yell at the cat for not barking. It's ontologically impossible. Cats don't bark. Dogs don't meow. You get the idea. Ontology. So what does it mean to be human?
1: You go beat up the owner of the dog.
0: (laughs) Right. Or maybe there should have been no screaming in the first place. The next business day, you call uh, the neighbor and you try to work it out. And if the neighbor is obstinate, obstinate about it, then you say, I'm so sorry, dear neighbor, I will be calling the police if it happens tonight, because it's a disturbance, and if it's disturbing me, it's probably disturbing others. And now look who's acting mature, (laughs) as opposed to yelling off the deck for Sparky to shut up, or crawling on the ground like you're going to somehow get inside his head. The ability to know that we have being and awareness and that we can praise God is life-changing, The great confession is that the chief aim of man the chief purpose of life is to praise god and glorify him to know god and and, and glorify him right so there's a lot there you know and it is an you ready let's let's drop the philosophy bomb it's an ontological contradiction to think that you can live without god that's a contradiction but god made fish Put fish in water, right? When God made birds, He put birds in the sky. When God made man, He turned to Himself and created that man in His image. And so, ontologically, we are wired, made for God. And to deny that is to deny who you really are. Uh, do not trust in humans. How's that for a logical idea? If your being is directly related to God and your relationship to Him, then don't trust in people. Don't let people be your God. Don't trust in people, princes, governors, political people, in mortal man, in whom there is no salvation. And there's a bit of a play on words here in Hebrew. Um, his spirit departs and he returns to the earth. Where did he come from? The earth. And so the earthy person goes back to earth. A bit of a play on words there. Um, I love 2 Corinthians 4. Um, We do not lose heart, but though our outer body is decaying, yet our inner person is being renewed day by day for our momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison while we look not at the things which are seen but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, temporal, the things which are not seen are eternal. And so the author of the psalm is saying, you know, upon your death, all your plans, your 401k, everything you strained and fought for, everything that you, you, you put in hours and hours of toil and label, a life you planted the build is gone. It's gone. And uh, uh, unless you have somebody to pass on the inheritance to... It's going to go back to the bank or something. It's gone. It vaporizes. Um, Okay, let's push just a little bit here on this idea of our plans perish. Be careful about trusting people. Um, That's a Christ-esteem idea, by the way. Um, Look at Second Corinthians again. uh, Verse 17, our momentary light affliction is producing and eternal weight of glory. Momentary light affliction? What is that, what is Paul doing when he makes that conclusion? Is he making a a value judgment? Is he casting an opinion based on value? By the way, that's called axiology, you make a value judgment. Describe some of Paul's suffering. Stoned, flogged, beaten with rods, Would you say that's momentary light affliction? I wouldn't.
1: Compared
0: to eternity, and that's it. That's that's axiology. He's saying, you know what? If all I got is right here, right now, in me, in my body, it's all I've got. This is horrible. This is a horrible existence. But when you compare me in Jesus to eternity, all of a sudden, this thing called miserable human existence changes. And Paul. He transvalues it, and he goes, you know what? Man, this is just momentary light affliction. I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be okay. A lot of people struggle with that. They really, really struggle with that. And that, the reality of what is eternal is so profound for Paul that he's able to do a comparison. He literally runs a spreadsheet theologically, and he goes, you know what? I'm going to be Okay. Because I've got my eyes fixed on what is eternal, not just what is temporal. Uh, Verse 5, I see grace in this. Blessed is he whose help is in the God of Jacob. Jacob? That scoundrel? That deceiving, no count, turncoat, awful, yep, that guy. (laughs) Isn't it a beautiful thing when God accepts broken people who are willing to repent broken messed up scarred beaten up people he's he's a god of mercy this is a grace story that's like you hear sometimes well you know David he was he was a man after god's own heart and you go like whoa look at the timeline no he's not remember remember the famous verse in acts 10:15 What God says is clean, nobody gets to say is unclean. If God says Jacob's clean, he's clean. God says David's clean, he's clean. The God of Jacob. Beautiful language. Language of grace. grace. Um, Six, this is a a key idea. Uh, This God of Jacob is the one who made heaven and earth, the sea, and everything that is in them, who keeps faith forever. Wow, God is faithful. I love that. Um, this is a theme in the Psalms. It's a, it's a theme in Jewish theology. It's also a theme in Jewish logic. Jehovah is the creator of heaven and earth. As such, he's more than capable of caring for us. It's what Jesus said. If, if he can clothe the flower, if he can feed a bird, he can take care of you. He'll clothe and feed you. If God can do the little thing well, in Jewish reasoning, he can do the big thing well. David's flipping it, or the author's flipping it. If God can create the heaven and the earth. How's that for a tough assignment? He can make sure you, you get something to eat. You know, so it's reasoning from the, less, the, the lighter to the heavy, or the small to the big, or the big to the small, type of Jewish reasoning. Um, look at this next block. Um, uh, this God of Jacob executes justice. Now that's, that's the translation I'm working with. Executes justice for the oppressed. We need, to, we need to park there. That's critical. What do you have in your translations? Anything different? This is New American Standard 2020. I think we have some ESVs. David, what do you have? Vindicates the oppressed. OK. I can barely hear you, friend.
1: Oh,
0: vindicates the oppressed. OK. OK. Uh, make sure your volume's all the way up, David. I normally can hear you loud and clear. Okay. Anybody else? What do you have? Is it for, uh, yes, Maddie?
1: Mine says he upholds the cause of the oppressed.
0: Upholds the cause. That's good. Anybody else? Kathy, what do you have?
1: It's basically the same. He justice to the oppressed and the oppressed. Yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, it actually comes out of the legal world, uh, the court system of the day and it refers to a legal judgment, a rendering. Uh, by the way, the Kyle Rittenhouse jury is on in full, full force, full-on media exploitation of any possible angle they can generate to spin doctor, all that stuff. I think a verdict was not reached. I think it's, there's more hearings. Kathy's getting the nod, so. But should the ruling be in favor of the victim, it is mishpat. Justice was served, mishpat. It was judged well. It was a fair judgment. It was a good ruling, a favorable ruling is what mishpat means. It can imply justice. Of course, you know, when you and I hear justice today, we immediately spin into this social justice thing that has recently uh, been, been forced upon us the last five years. And, uh, but the idea is that God will do right by the victim. The person who is oppressed and truly oppressed, he will legally fight for that person. The one who is truly hungry, he will fight for that person. There'll be rulings about these things. So this is the idea. Um, Now does, does, go ahead, David. David can't hear you at all, friend. Okay, yeah, um, notice these concepts, uh, oppression, justice for the oppressed, uh, food for the hungry, freeing of the prisoners, um, he's opening the eyes of the blind, he raises up those who are bowed down, that's another concept of political oppression, hardship, watches over strangers, he supports the fatherless and the widow, but he thwarts the way of the wicked. By the way, verse 9, what are your translations there? He watches over strangers. What do you have, Janice? Mine
1: says protects
0: the stranger. Protects the stranger. Anybody else? Protects the foreigners. The foreigners, yeah. That's actually what stranger means. It means to be foreign. Yeah. Uh, If we can pull it into our vernacular, we would say the Lord watches over homeless people. Walking around, walking about Traveling through the land, trying to find a homeland, trying to settle somewhere. Kind of like Israel, right? They were strangers in a land, foreigners, wandering, looking for the promised land. So that very idea supports the fatherless, of course. Uh, You're aware that in ancient culture, uh, many mothers died in childbirth. Uh, It was a brutal culture. Medically, it was a hard, hard time. And uh, life expectancy was really young by the New Testament era to the tune of 40, 45 was the average life. It's for a peasant male, Jewish male. So uh, a man may have several wives uh, because the last one died and the next one died, you know. And then she may have several husbands because he dies. And especially when there could be could be as little on average as a three to five year age difference. It could be as much as ten to fifteen years easily, in Jewish, uh, in marriage, marriage in the New Testament. So you're looking at you know a wife has a few children by this man. He ages out and dies. Disease, all kinds of things, just ages out. Forties, he's an old man in his forties. Can you imagine that? Old man in his forties, and uh, and she marries again. So tough culture, really tough. Lots of genuine widows, lots of fatherless kids and the widow. Very, very real. Okay, does this remind you of anything, this language? That he fights for the oppressed, hungry, prisoners, blind, bowed down. Are you hearing any echoes in this? Any reminders? A lot of broken people. A lot of broken people, absolutely, Maddie. Absolutely. Yeah. Jesus Jesus does some good ontology in Luke's gospel when he goes into the synagogue and he asks for the Isaiah scroll and he turns to a key place and he makes an ontological statement. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. He exposes the words of Isaiah 61 as being about him. He reveals his identity. That's ontology. Who who is this guy? Who is he? He's, he's revealing who he is. I am, He. The Spirit is the Lord of the Lord is upon me. So this is a big deal. James one twenty seven. What is pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father? It's to visit orphans and widows in their distress, and keep oneself unstained by the world. What, what does God expect of us? What's, what are we all about here on earth? We're to learn to do good, seek justice. Remember that's mishpat. Do the right thing for the right reasons for a victim. Make sure the victim gets justice. Um, rebuke the oppressor. Obtain justice for the orphan. Plead the case, the widow's case. Mark 10, when Jesus saw this, he was indignant and said to them, "Allow the children to come to me, and do not forbid them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these." And then the psalmist says, "The Lord will reign forever." Your God, Zion, all generations, praise the Lord. Okay, let's look closely at this, this block of seven, eight, and nine. I want you to focus on that. We'll kind of, kind of, kind of do that now. Here we go. Um, Look at Isaiah fifty eight and sixty one, and what do you notice? Mm -hmm. Now, in Isaiah fifty eight, obviously, God is talking to Israel. Israel You know, I appreciate, (laughs) I'm I'm paraphrasing. Yes, we have rituals, we have things we do, but you want to know what I really think fasting's about? If you want to go on a real fast for me, go after these people. When you do that, your light will break out like the dawn. All of a sudden, Israel is the light of the world. Isaiah 61, that is the base text that Jesus quotes in the synagogue. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. <clears throat> I am the anointed one, which means, that's plain words, I am Messiah. The anointed one means Messiah. To bring good news to the humble. Okay? Are we seeing a pattern? How about this one? Of course, Luke 4 had mentioned that. Look, Luke, Luke 16. What about the story of the rich man and the poor man laid side by side? Jay, it's a technique, a literary technique comparison. Why does the rich guy by default go to hell? That doesn't seem odd, where's the gospel? And why does the poor guy, by virtue of his poverty, default to heaven? That makes no sense. Poverty doesn't get you into heaven and riches don't get you into hell. What's up with that parable? What do you think he's talking about?
1: What the guys did with
0: their riches and- certainly um, you're getting at it, Maddie, that that if you are a if you are a Christian and you have you have means it's expected that we share. It's expected, yeah, yeah, okay. James, two. Uh, what use is it, my brothers and sisters, if somebody's hungry if they need clothing? You do nothing about it. Can that faith save him? Faith when that works is dead. And you know, if you see him lacking cloth, you see clothing, lack, lacking food, you say, "Hey, you know what? Be warm, to be filled. Bless you, bye." And you don't share food from your table. Is that kind of faith acceptable to God? Absolutely no, it's not. It's not Look at this block here. Matthew 9, Jesus was reclining at the table. Many tax collectors, sinners came and were reclining with Jesus at the table. And Pharisees saw this and they said, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when Jesus heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician Those who are sick. So go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. That links right back to Isaiah 58. Okay. For I came not to call righteous but sinners. Okay. Romans 15. As Christ accepted, you accept them. Ephesians 4. As Christ forgave you, you forgive. Colossians 3. Be... Be compassionate, be kind, be humble, be gentle, be patient. After all, that's how God treated you. That's how Jesus treated you, right? Bear with one another, forgive each other, etc. Just as the Lord forgave you, so you need to do the same. So what's he saying? What, what are all these things? If you could put this together in a composite image, what, what, is, what is the scripture saying to us? Exactly, exactly, Kathy, yeah That's the whole point That if you really are A believer in God And for us On the New Testament side of things If you really are a follower of the way of Jesus The words of Jesus And the way of Jesus Then you will invest time Effort Money As is appropriate To uh, Care for people just like he cares for you, right? So that Psalm, so Psalm 146, really, is, it, it, it's, it's a call of saying, hey, this is, this is your God. Ontologically, this is who he is, this is how he acts. If you follow him, you're going to be doing similar kinds of behaviors. You'll be saying similar kinds of things. So people will be at your table, you know?
1: I think number... Number nine kind of wraps up everything. I'm not saying I'm Lord or anything like that. Right, right, right. Just the way that he's coming at it, it's like what he's trying to, what I think he's trying to say to me, or Mm -hmm. for us to, uh, you know, watch out for each other, even strangers
0: and whatnot, to support, you know, people that are fatherless and widows. Yes, yes. And to, Lord, wait, you know, be weary, or not weary, but be aware of the wicked. You know, and yes, you're, you're and able, know the difference. If you're able to help all strangers, help them. So be it. Whatnot, yep. Yep. Them, yep. 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 Right. Yep. And I think a wise believer's believer does have boundary, right? If you give away all your assets, I, I think you're caught. You're creating another problem. That's not what he's calling us to do. First uh, Timothy five and six demonstrate that we don't do that. That was Acts chapter two for a reason. That has stopped. We don't do that. Now, God tells you to do it, you do it. But that's not what Paul says. Uh, yeah, you're right. Do you know how many times I hear in an average week, I wish I had a dad. I'm fatherless. I wish I had a dad. I wish I had a mom. That's, that's what I want. I'm lonely. I hear this all the time. All the time. Um ontologically, we need to know the difference between a wicked person and a person who is genuinely oppressed, who needs mishpat, who needs good judgment. We should know the difference between those two people. If we don't, we're going to get in trouble. We're going to hand a 20 to a guy that's going to use it and, and going to buy a bunch of beer with it. you know. And you're just underwriting his, his rebellious lifestyle. We want to do that. Um, we need to know the difference. Jesus knew how to walk away. Ouch, he did. He knew how to let people walk away from him. And that's hard for us. There's a difference in seeking to bring good, healthy justice, judgment, mishpat, to the oppressed and you trying to get past your guilties or your tender heart. There's a big difference. Okay? Big difference between being empathetic and being discerning. In a, in a difficult situation. Okay. Um so let's let's do a wrap up now. I'm excited about this. I want to hear from you guys. So there it is. How do we pull this psalm into our world at three thousand years later here we are, twenty twenty one. Halal Yah, praise the Lord. <laughs> Start there. End it. Halal Yah. Praise the Lord. Praise Jehovah. What do you guys think? What do, what do we pull out of this psalm um, in our text or our lives today, so that we are people who can discern the will of God today?
1: I think, for me, anyway, I've been you know keeping tabs on the trial. the wrong people, as in, put your faith in the tangible, put your faith in the government, put your faith even in, you know, just all kinds of things, put your faith in doctors, whatever, this is just such a good reminder, do not trust in the nobleman and mortal man, always trust in God, because he knows the truth, and when, you know, there's that one about justice. In order to be just, the truth has to be attached
0: to that. It cannot yes. be divorced from it. And we're seeing things where truth just depends on what people feel like. And that's not God. God that's not God. Mishpat. Right. So God is absolute truth, and justice yeah. and truth right are yeah. hand in hand. Yeah.
1: And absolute truth is God, and that's what we're going to trust. And yeah. I need that reminder because, you know, it's really easy to get caught up in the world of all this and think, oh, yeah. oh my gosh, this is, this is, I mean, it is horrible, but... God and God's
0: plan. Yep. and having that patience. That's very wise. Let's push our wisdom. You ready? Let's push it. Luke 15, story of a boy. You got a lost coin, lost sheep, lost boy. And the boy does the, the most rude and shameful thing a Jewish boy can do functionally. Dad, I wish you were dead. Give me my portion of the estate. Horrific thing to say to your father. I wish you were dead. Give me my share in the inheritance. More egregious than that is dad did it good Jewish man would never, never comply with the request of a foolish and half-insane boy that would ask that. So he does. Off the boy goes. We don't know what he did in the foreign land, but whatever it was, it was probably naughty. You know, something bad. And uh, he spends his money on riotous living, okay, and runs out of money. Then what happens? He gets hungry. And in desperation, he attaches himself to a local farmer so he didn't starve to death. And he's so hungry and so impoverished that the Jewish boy, can't very much a play on, on, on moral code, wishes to eat what a pig would eat. <laughs> if there's anything that's unclean to a Jew, it's certainly a pig. And he's willing to eat what a pig would eat. He's so hungry. A wise man told me, Chris, If there had been an empathetic team of old women and old men with a wonderful soup kitchen ministry to deal with starving people who are homeless and suffering, if they were there, they would have fed him some soup. Lots of it. (laughs) And bread too, and then a little bag of oranges. And then he would come back and there'd be more. And what would happen, Janice, if they did that ministry? he would have no reason to go home. Doing good mishpat is not getting past a bad case of the guilties. It's not getting past a bad case of the empathetic, sympathizing the tears. The hallmark moment, it's not what it's about. Kathy, you're getting at it, you're touching the hem of the garment. If you can't see it through God's eyes, if you can't integrate truth and a need, if you can't do that, you're not going to do good mishpat. You're not going to do good judgment. You're not going to do it. And at that point, um, we become easily taken advantage of. Tenderhearted people. Okay, anybody else? Let's do a little bit of church history. Do you know spiritual gifts, right? You've probably all gone through some kind of spiritual gift study, right? When you see the gift uh, listed administration, what do you think that means? What's that? Galen. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Have you seen the coffee mug that says, oh, this calls for a spreadsheet? (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Is that not awesome? Oh, this calls for a spreadsheet. Okay. Yeah, you you, you see administration. And you go, oh, spreadsheets and business planning and da-da-da-da-da-da. da um, uh, you are you're probably assuming I'm going to say that's not what it's about, right? It's not. Think of the word administration. Sounds like what? What?
1: Ministry.
0: Additional Ministry. Ain't that something? Guess what that additional ministry guy or gal would do? Coordinate with lawyers, pay legal fees to help get a Christian out of jail. That's what he would do. Coordinate resources to make sure that widow had something to eat. That's administration. Yeah. So the early church, this is something we need to do. Yeah, so, uh, yeah. Anybody else? How do we pull it into our world? I think right now Christchurch is targeting about three families that need help for Christmas. And this would be a time to do some good mishpat, right? Good judgment with them. And that'll be exciting. uh, um, I'm going to do a shout-out to Amy. Amy Howard, who's not here and would be totally mad at me if I did this. Um, Amy spent personal money to buy food and store it here so that in the event there was a critical need, we could help somebody. Which I'm really grateful for, grateful for her heart. And she did a good job too. I was proud of her, so. Um... Okay, anybody else? All right. question last question I'll stop asking questions what does this have to do with releasing the prisoner setting the oppressed free feeding the hungry opening the eyes of the blind all this stuff the spirit of the Lord is upon me to declare the favorable year of the Lord what does this have the Lord's Supper have to do with all that
1: would we cleanse
0: certainly What's that? Wait, that, okay? that what yeah. What yeah. Yeah, that's the idea. Do, do we realize that, that Jesus is really what makes it possible? Yeah. When he says, open the eyes of the blind, is he talking about a blind person? Like, you know, the guy with the white cane doing, doing this thing? No. When you study blindness, wow. The issue of blindness in the New Testament is more about the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the lawyers who refused to see who refuse to hear. And so the gospel writers quote quote the uh, prophet Isaiah. That having eyes, they may not see. Having ears, they will not hear. So you have this odd twist. Those who have eyes and ears, can't see, can't hear. Those that are blind and deaf, see and hear. They're called tax collectors. They're called sinners. They're called drunks. They're called prostitutes. They're called People who were rejected by the Pharisees, not fit to go to church. And he sets them free. So I think that's beautiful. So so Paul writes, What I received from the Lord, that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said... This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let me pray and take the word of Father, thank you for your love and your grace. Asking right now that you would give us that heart to not trust in people, not trust in the government, but to trust in you, the God of Jacob, and to be about your business of caring for the oppressed, the broken, the hungry, those in genuine need, and to bring to them the gospel. You are the one that truly sets someone free. Asking in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much. Go ahead and take the words up when you're ready.